Romans 6, 12 through 14 this evening. We're actually going to read verses. We're going to start again in verse 1 to recap. And then we're going to, we're really going to focus on verse 12 through 14. But we will touch base on what, what Paul has to say all the way through, really, kind of Romans 6, verse I guess we'll get all the way to the end a little bit. So let's let's read this beginning in verse 1. And Father, I just pray right now that you'd open up our eyes to see wondrous things from your law. In Jesus' name. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk, say this with me, in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, say body. Okay. We're going to come right back to that. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We know that our old self, verse 6, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must, say that word, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So if you remember... A couple weeks ago, and then Chase did a great job this last week talking about this positional righteousness that we have and how that mindset transforms the way that we can live step by step. But that word consider is really important because you have in verses 1 through 11 all this like already not yet language. He did die, so you did die. He lives, so you now live. But the body of sin that you are in is being brought to nothing. Meaning it's not yet actually nothing. And if you, if you look at you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 5, and 6, you have this language of like our body, you know, being like a jars of clay. You know, we're these tents that we're living in. They're decaying. It's inevitable. 1 Corinthians 15, that this body must die. We will be given new bodies. And, and so really what you have is this reality that your journey from when you came to know Christ, when he saved you, to when he takes you home or comes back and gets you, this whole process of becoming more like Christ, sanctification, is going to be a process of continual death that actually is making you experientially more and more alive with Christ. So imagine at this moment I'm saved, I'm alive in Christ, over there represents when either I die or he takes me home. I live. And what needs to happen for me to experience the life I now have in Christ and live in Christ, what it's going to take for me to experience this to the fullest is for dying to occur. Does that make sense? 
And so it's not that as I live life, I'm being able to live more, like I'm becoming more alive. It's actually that I'm experiencing what I already am more and more as part of me is dying more and more. Does that make sense? So that body of sin that I still live in numbs me. When I give into that sin, it numbs me experientially, mentally, physically to experience the life that I already do have in Christ. And so as I'm putting off and killing that sin more and more, likewise, I get to experience the life I now have in Christ and the benefits of that more and more. Things like peace and hope and love and righteous fruits that are coming out of me, patience kindness, goodness. And so it's not that I'm becoming more alive. I am alive in Christ. We will experience the more alive part in glory. We'll have new bodies. We will no longer be tempted to give into sin. There will no longer be any of sinful, any sinful reality. I mean, that is when we will experience life to the fullest and most glorious. The life that we have now in Christ, we experience more fully as sin dies. And so Paul says, therefore, and the, and the great hope we're going to talk about tonight is, when I was made alive with Christ, that conversion, I was also made dead to sin positionally, as Chase mentioned. And now I get to work that out the rest of my life. And so this is, this is what Paul says. Remember two weeks ago, I said, this is the first command you see in Romans. The first command you see in Romans is Romans 6, verse 11. You also must, say that word, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your, say those two words, mortal body. Okay. That is directly referring to the body of sin. So that, that's just another way of saying the exact same thing. So don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its Passions, And he fleshes that out. Don't present your members to sin as righteousness instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Now we talked about this aspect of reigning, remember, a couple weeks ago as well. And the whole reign thing is before Christ, sin reigned. It governed me. It had dominion over me. It was the primary force acting in my life. There was no holy force inside of me, transforming, renewing me. The Holy Spirit had to be given to me for that to, to change. And when I came to know Christ, my relationship with sin changed. And so you who are in Christ tonight, you can say truthfully out loud, my relationship with sin has changed. It's no longer my slave master. It no longer reigns over me. And so Paul is saying, consider yourselves dead. And now don't use your mortal body. Don't use your body of sin to give in to sin. Rather, use it for righteousness. And here's how. You've been brought from death to life. So consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God. Now, I want you to look back at verse 12. There's, there's a really important question I had in this passage. Let not sin therefore reign in your body, your mortal body, to make you obey, say this next word, it's, say it's, it's passions. 
Whose passions? Whom's passions? What is the it's they're referring to? Is it referring to sin? Or is it referring to mortal body? Or is it kind of referring to both? Or should we think of it as both? Meaning, is Paul saying, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that sin makes you obey sin's passions as if sin is personified and sin actually has desires and lusts and passions for you? Or is he saying, don't let sin reign in your body, your mortal body, to make you obey your mortal body's passions? Is it the passions of my body? Which passions are are there that Paul is warning against? Are you tracking with me? Is it that Paul is saying, hey, sin is like, like a person, like a being, and it desires to rule you. And so this outward temptation, this outward sin is being personified as evil, maybe demonic forces, demonic oppression, maybe the devil himself, maybe just the reality of the fallen world, and sin has this desire, and the desire of sin personified is to own you and rule you and make you use your body to give in to sin. Or as Paul saying, your mortal body is a body of sin. In fact, you know, he, he mentions that earlier as we mentioned in verse 6. Don't let your body of sin make you obey your body of sin's passions. So is Paul there saying, hey, remember how we talked about this positional righteousness? You have your alive, but now you're going to experience this life progressively more as you kill your sin, as you make yourself more dead. So as you're living and walking and your body of sin, mortal body that you're still in, when it has desires to give in sin, don't let it. Remind your body Sin is not the master anymore. The spirit is. You're alive in Christ to push on. Which one is it? What I want to say is I actually think it's both. I think it's helpful to realize that it is both. You know, Owen talks a lot about the enemy without, outside of us, and the enemy within us. And that actually is the way that you should think about this battle and fighting against sin. That there are enemies outside of you that definitely want to rule you and make you obey its passions. And you definitely have an enemy within still that you have to constantly fight and say, no, you're not going to give in those passions. You don't own me. And it's your flesh. So I want to show you uh, two passages that help you see both of these. Let's start with first sin personified. I want you to go to the next chapter. Romans chapter 7, verse 8. We'll start in verse 4. Paul says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. You see, oh, man. You see what's happening? Body of Christ, body of sin, body of Christ, mortal body. We will have a new body and be like Christ. So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. So it's amazing. This body of sin that we're in, we have to remind ourselves, this isn't my ruling master. The body of Christ is. In order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, and again, you're like, okay, is it, the, is it the passions of sin? Is it the passions within? Aroused by the law, we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. You see this is Romans 6, 12 through 14 language, literally. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now watch this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to save the uh, law talk here 
for when we get to Romans 7. What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. Now watch, watch here's sin personified. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Or you could just say sin. I mean, the coveting is the example Paul's using. Just substitute it for sin. Do you see what Paul just said in verse 8? Sin is seizing an opportunity to produce in you all kinds of sin. That would be a decent paraphrase, actually, of that verse. Paul is saying that sin personified is seizing an opportunity to make you give in to sin. Meaning sin, the enemy without, has a desire for you to give into it. Now if you look at James chapter 1, let's go to James chapter 1. Now you're going to see the other. James chapter 1. Beginning in verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. That word is translated temptation to sin, okay? This isn't like I'm, you know, only being imprisoned or only cancer. Those are certainly opportunities to sin, but it's much more broad than that. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under temptation to sin. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own what? Desire. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin that is fully grown brings forth death. And James, he says, actually, it's the desire of your mortal body, your body of sin first that ends up producing all kinds of righteousness. Now, why is this? Why is this important? You go back to Romans chapter 6. Who even cares? We mentioned in the very beginning of the study that one of the most frustrating things for Christians is remaining sin. It can cause all kinds of issues in relationships causes doubts, it causes guilt, it causes conviction, remorse, it causes worry and fear. And constantly, you know, believers are going, why can't I just be done with this? And we, we tend to, and it, you know, people tend to land at different places or different seasons dictate where you land. On one hand, you might always say, it's these stupid temptations and oppressions and afflictions outside of me as if I have nothing to do with it. It's like you just point the finger, you deflect. James 1 says you can't blame God. The implication there, by the way, is too that you can't even blame the devil. you got to blame your own body of sin. Sin comes from my own desire. And so the warning is don't always be quick to point the finger at others or the devil or oppression or affliction and say this is why I'm sinning. The flip side is... You can't only look inside and go, it's all me, I'm dead, that's the problem, I'm not alive, etc. Paul wants you to have this understanding, this broad understanding that everything in this world that is not of Christ, 
Everything in this world is working against your holiness. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty wild statement, too. But I mean, that's why Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, like this battle, this wartime mentality. Everything wants you to go back to the old man. And Paul is aiming to give some very clear instruction to say, Brother and sister, if you have been united with Christ by grace through faith and not your own works, you are positionally alive in Christ. You are made righteous. That will never change. And you will experience this to its absolute fullest and glory. But you can experience incredible amounts of joy in the reality of that position right now. And here's how. Consider yourself dead. And now fight the enemy without and fight the enemy within with everything you have. So I want you to think about um, three things tonight. Paul says in verse 13 and 14, don't do this, do this. Don't use your hands for unrighteousness. Do use your hands for righteousness. Don't use your mouth, your tongue for unrighteousness. Use your mouth, your tongue for righteousness. Don't give in to sin. Do give in to righteousness. It's like, uh, you know, my daughter, actually my son's worse at this right now. Charlotte just cleaned the, uh, yesterday my wife had to call me. This has nothing to do with anything, just so you know. Yesterday Abby FaceTimed me because Charlotte came downstairs and decided that it was time for her to clean the house. So Charlotte went into her playroom. She cleaned everything. She fake vacuumed. She put the toys away, etc. And so we're all proud because she usually just terrorizes everything and messes it up. And so we're like, oh, Charlotte's amazing. Well, my son doesn't do that yet. He just goes and destroys everything. Jumps off everything, throws everything down, pours everything on the ground, rips everything off the walls. Like, it's, he just, he's nuts. And so you look at Emerson and you say, Emerson, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And I found, like... I'm actually working through this parenting thing right now. Mike, maybe you can help me. Where it's like, I don't want the words that come out of my mouth to always be don't, don't, no, 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 don't. And it is actually like paralyzing. I mean, you feel that, you know, maybe in your workplace, maybe your friendships, maybe your marriage, you definitely feel it, that pressure in your walk with Christ. So many people feel this Weight, this outside burden of Christianity is this. Make sure you don't do that. It's like, oh man. And so all of our mind and thinking capacity is focused in this negative way of, I'm afraid, I'm convicted, my conscience is pricking me, don't do that, don't slip this, and then all of a sudden I do it, and then I feel guilt and remorse and sorrow, and I'm conflicted, and I question myself, I'm fear, I doubt, am I saved? And it's like, this is paralyzing. And Paul actually wants you to say, hey, even in your sin, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. And in his don't and do, the totality of the New Testament gives us a lot of hope of how we can do this. One of the things you need to realize as a Christian is you will continue to do the don'ts. I should have written this line out. You will continue to do the don'ts until you realize three things about the do's. Oh, that, that kind of makes sense. Does that make sense? I'll say it again. You will continue to do the don'ts. Does that make sense? 
until you can kind of grasp these three realities about the do's. I'm going to give you the three realities. The first reality that will enable you to do and not don't. <laughs> this just sounds funny. The first thing you need to realize is that you now have the ability to not do something and do something. This is the least tangible and the most intellectual and thing you already know, but, but, but play this out with me. I'm calling this the ability issue. In, in verse 13, he says, don't do this. Do this. Don't present your members to sin as un, instruments for unrighteousness. Do present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from the life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So he has, don't present members for unrighteousness. Do present members for righteousness. But the secret is there in the middle. As those who have been brought from death to life. This whole point here is sin is no longer your master. You don't have to do what sin is telling you to do. You don't have to do what your body is telling you you want to do. You don't have to do what your sinful mind is telling you you want to do. You actually have the ability now to say no. And here's how. We're going to get to it way later. But turn to Romans chapter 8 with me. In chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, Paul says, Those who live according to the flesh, the body of sin, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh, this is, this is those who are not in Christ, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. And then watch this. Indeed, it cannot. So here's what Paul's saying. Before you became a Christian, you had no ability to be righteous. Zero. You had no ability. You could not please him. Now that you are in Christ, you can please God. And you can say no to sin. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then he goes on, you however are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. So the very reality that you've been brought from death to life means that now you have the ability to please God, which means you have the ability to say no to sin because pleasing God is saying no to sin. Even more so, look at verse 14 in chapter 6. Back to our text. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Sin will not reign over you. Sin will not master you. Sin is not the master force of you. Sin cannot govern you. In other words, sin has to listen to you now. If, if you respond to your body of sin and outside sin that is seeking to make you fall into sin and you say no in the power of the Spirit, it has to listen to you. If you go to James chapter 4, just flip to James chapter 4 with me really quick. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. In 2 Timothy, Paul says to flee from unrighteousness. So we have this reality that when we resist the devil, when we resist sin, the devil and sin actually 
flees from us. It has to listen to us. We don't have to listen to it anymore. So the, the first thing I want you to know is in order to stop doing the don'ts and start doing the do's, you, you need to realize that you actually do have the ability. Some people live paralyzed and act with this mentality of, I'm just never going to be able to overcome this sin. And actually the Bible is trying to get you into the mindset where you understand, no, you actually can say no. You can stop this sin. You do not have to live like that any longer. You have the ability. Think victoriously. So the ability issue. The second thing you need to grasp to stop doing the don'ts and start doing the do's is the affection issue. The affection issue. I want you to look at verse 17 of Romans 6. Thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Did I leave out a part? Anybody follow? Okay, read, read along with me. Verse 17. Thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. From the heart. Heart, you know, biblically encompasses a whole lot more than just do 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 The heart is like really the entirety of your being. And it certainly is the place, the seat of your emotions, your affections. What does Paul say? Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, you had to do what sin said, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you're committed. And you would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually resonate with this because the reason I do things that people say don't do is because I want to do them. <laughs> That's my son, Emerson. Don't instigate problems with your sister. Stop touching her chicken nuggets. And he's like, <laughs> Emerson, don't pour the water on the table. <laughs> it's like, stop it. And even us, like, hey, brother, sister, don't get angry with each other. We're like, mm. hey, brother, sister, don't look on at, you know, at this person with lust in your heart. And we're like, mm. why? Because we're doing what we want to do. That's what's happening. And so what happens is people are like, yeah, I understand that I have the ability to say no to sin. I just don't want to use that ability to say no to sin. I want to give it a sin. And so the biggest thing here with tangibly experiencing this death to sin and life that I have in Christ is you have to have new affections. And Paul says that you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, the law, what is required of you. And so you would say, okay, well then how do I get new affections? And that is the wrong question. We say, okay, how do I change my affections? That is, once again, the defeated mentality. What you need to realize is you have been given a new heart. All the seeds of the things that you should now delight in have been planted. If you are in Christ, your new heart has every seed of the Spirit living inside of it. 
You don't have to somehow get new affections. You actually need to water and nurture and care for and feed the seeds that have already been planted into your new heart. And so you're like, well, I just don't like reading the Bible. Like, wait a second. Actually, you've been given a new heart. Remember the onion? Peel back every layer and then get to, get to the sinful layer at the core of who you are, the core that you think you are. Get to the sinful layer that says, yeah, I just don't want to. And peel back one more layer and realize that that seed, 1 John 3, has actually been planted. And the more true reality about who you are in Christ is that, wait a second, you do want to read the Bible. I'm not talking like magic stuff. I'm not talking like, you know, Pastor Mike talked about the power of positive thinking today and how can I be using them. I mean, I am kind of speaking like that, like, like Mike was talking about, but I'm, think, I'm speaking about the power of positive thinking in a spiritual context. I'm talking about realizing who you actually are being united to Christ. Well, I don't want to give up lust. I don't want to give up greed. It's like, well, let me ask you a question. Do you feel really crummy when you give into those things? And you would say, yeah. And it's like, yeah, because you don't want to do it. And that's what's happening. When you give into sin, you're giving into your body, your mortal body, the body of flesh that you're still living in, and your body of sin is lying to you, saying, you really want to do this. And then you either wrestle with this, yeah, I do want to do it, or I don't have the ability not to, and you're ignoring the actual reality of who you are in Christ. You not only have the ability to say no, Jesus has given you his spirit, a new heart, and all the seeds of those new affections you already own. So you have to care for them, water them, nurture them. And that's where we're going to get to in just a second. But I want you to go back to Romans chapter 8 again. Listen to how Paul says this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 10, Paul says, If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness... If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's the united to Christ, that's the new heart, that's the very core of who you are, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. God has given you his own spirit to actually raise up, nurture, care, grow these new affections, and he is the ability and power that you have to notice in. So, we have the ability issue. We have the affection issue. And I want to talk about the application issue. So it's like, okay, I get that. Wonderful, Dave. You told me I now have the ability to understand. And you're telling me that actually I, the, the core of who, and I do want you to understand this. The, the very core, if you're a United Christ, the very core of who you are wants to read the Bible more than you don't want to read the Bible. The very core of who you are wants to remain pure more than the bison doesn't want to remain pure. And so on. The very core of who you are does not want to be angry. It wants to be kind and benevolent and patient more than the part of you that wants to be angry. Like, I do want you to realize that, but that still is kind of this positional thinking. And so it's like, okay, how do I tangibly take this truth then and move forward? And, you know, we want like an app. <laughs> So when we talk about tangible, you have to understand that we're dealing with spiritual things. And so I know that what you want is an app that can track your progress and make you go this and it reminds you of this and this and this. And all of a sudden, like, you know, you're, you're transformed. Uh, what, what you need is much more real than that. 
What you need is faith. And you need to feed your faith. So, so let's talk about this. The way that Paul tells you to tangibly apply your position in Christ, the ability issue, the affection issue, the way that he tangibly tells you, okay, here I am. I'm in Christ. That's when I die or Jesus comes back and takes me. Could be 10 hours, could be 10 days, could be 10 years, could be 10 decades. Probably not. What happens is, all right, the core of who I am desires holy things more than unholy things. The core of who I am has the ability to say no to sin. So now what do I do with my steps? How do I live? Paul's answer is you keep in step with the Spirit. Say keep in step with the Spirit. Don't, don't dismiss that. That is incredibly tangible. Don't dismiss the reality of the, or the power of the reality that the Spirit is in us, and therefore we can and ought to step in the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, this is where you have this keep in the Spirit, in the spirit keep a step in the Spirit language. He says it four different ways. In verse 16 of Galatians 5, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Say, walk by the Spirit. In verse 18, he says, be led by the Spirit. Say, be led by the Spirit. In verse 22, he says, bear fruit of the Spirit. Say, bear fruit of the Spirit. In verse 25, he says, live by the Spirit. Say, live by the Spirit. Sorry. <laughs> Walk, be led, bear fruit, live. That is what it means to keep except the Spirit. The Spirit of God has created a channel in you by which you are united directly to Christ. And the Holy Spirit now is flowing into you by virtue of your union with Christ, and then flowing out of you so that you may experience the life you have now in Christ and walk by the Spirit. How do we do that? Well, do you remember Pastor Mike? It was, I think, uh, the second week of union with Christ, the fourth week of sitting on a hill. He said, I'm going to tell you something. And he said, it's not very profound, but it literally is like the key. Anybody remember the two words he says? Keep what? Believing. believing. Keep believing. That, those two words have like radically transformed my last month. <laughs> Keep believing. I, it's like a mantra. I'm telling myself constant. I mean, I, probably a hundred times a day. Or you know, my, you, you know my heart. It's a lot. So I might have been an exaggeration. I don't mean a lie. I say it a lot. Keep believing, David. Keep believing. Keep believing what? Keep believing that this mess right here that your kids just made and your wife didn't have an opportunity to come and clean yet. Keep believing that this is actually a grace of God. You have children. You have a wife. You have a home. Keep believing that this mess isn't going to destroy your day. Keep believing that you don't actually have to lash out in anger. Keep believing that that part of you that wants to just scream and you know rule your own kingdom and have your own rules, keep believing that there's a layer a little deeper that says, oh, I can get down and serve my wife and serve my kids or play with them or get messy with them. Like, Keep believing that I have the ability in this moment to actually say no to anger and to actually have joy and love and peace and kindness. Keep believing. Keep believing is unbelievable. And here's how this that keeping the step spirit or keeping the spirit language is what Piper calls future grace. 
That's what it is. Keep in step with the Spirit. And then he says, being led by the Spirit. So there's a sense in which I am walking and I am being carried. That's what it means. I am walking with this mentality. I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to cling to my identity with Christ. I'm going to face all the temptations around me and choose to say no. I'm going to use my members of my body as instruments of righteousness. How do I do that? I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe. I'm actually walking. I'm keeping up the Spirit. I'm seeking to bear fruit. But what is happening is I am being led. I am being carried by the Spirit. And I'm believing that that is happening. Paul says in one of his other letters in 1 Corinthians, he says, we are being saved. All right, say that again. Say being saved. Being saved. You know, so the Greek there is that it's a present passive indicative. Meaning this. The indicative portion just means like it, you're, you're somewhat passive in it. It's happening. It's a present passive indicative. Meaning I was saved. That happened. And I'm being saved. So go back to your timeline that we've been talking the whole night. Here I am. I've been united with Christ. I was saved. I have that life. And now that whole process of experiencing that life by killing sin for the rest of my life, that is the process of being saved. And that is actually what Paul says happened on the cross. You were saved and you are being saved. It's a continual passive fact that you should keep believing. You have been saved, and because you've been saved, you are being saved until you will be fully and finally saved. And because we are saved and being saved, we live by faith. We believe, and I mean really believe. And Paul says we don't believe in vain. And here's why. Because our belief has work that is attached to it. It has proof. It has a testimony. It has witnesses it is grace-empowered work. Paul looks at the very next moment of his life in 1 Corinthians, the very next part of his ministry, and he says, not I, but the grace of God. God is giving me more grace for right now. I preached in Future Grace, and I, uh, future, the book Future Grace, I would highly recommend from John Piper, was largely instrumental in this. Preaching this in 1 Corinthians last year. So I talk about this when I, when I mention that Jesus is giving me more grace right now and he's going to have grace for me five minutes from now and he's going to have grace for me five hours from now and five days from now and five years from now for every future challenge and temptation and affliction and moment of suffering that I experience. Jesus is giving me grace. And I am living by faith in that future grace. What it means to keep us up the spirit is that I am moment by moment going. I'm going to reach the end. I'm going to say no to sin. I am going to have no affections. I'm going to delight in Jesus. And this is carrying me out. You know, I, I talked to Jeremy a little earlier. He was asking a question. And he was actually asking really good questions. And... You know, I'm going to paraphrase you, Jeremy, so you can do a much better job of this in your small groups. But one of the things that he mentioned is that people, once again, get a little paralyzed or give up or feel that pursuing holiness is futile because we're looking in some sense to the perfection of Christ. It's like, well, what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is to be like Christ. And they'll be like, well, that's not going to happen. And so you have, once again, this defeated mentality. And it's, it's actually the same issue that happens when people have, you know, weight goals or diet goals or financial goals. It's like, well, I want to have $100,000 saved 
in three years. And you're like, well, that's not going to happen. But actually, how does it happen? Nobody just wakes up and puts $100,000 in the bank. Nobody just wakes up and loses 70 pounds and looks like Captain America, Gordon, right? What happens? And your body, you know, your weightlifting, it is a lot of small decisions and disciplines and, you know, <laughs> diligence and discipline and reminding yourself and believing in the process. And that actually is what Christianity is. That's what keeping in step with the Spirit is. Don't look at where you want to be five years from now and then be paralyzed that you're never going to get there. I'm always going to struggle with porn. I'm always going to struggle with anger. I'm always going to struggle with greed. I'm always going to struggle with laziness. I'm never going to want to read my Bible. It's like, hold on a second. How about you make a decision right now to believe and trust the grace of Jesus Christ? Don't be paralyzed by the future. Don't be paralyzed by comparison of your holiness and somebody else's holiness. You know how damaging that is? For two seconds, just make it Jesus in you, the Spirit of God inside of you, and choose in that moment by grace to live for Christ and say no to sin. And here's what's amazing. For people who have experienced this grace in your life, what happens? You know, you, you stand here and you go, I am not yet what I want to be. But by God's grace, I can look back and say what? I am not who I once was. I can look back and actually see the grace of God in my life. And that actual evidence makes me respond in thanksgiving and then makes me live by faith. It makes me continue to trust in the goodness of God. And by the way, if you are so new in your Christian faith or so new in your, in your walk as far as repentant and experiencing holiness, and you can't really look that far back in your own life and see a lot of evidence of holiness in your own life, and once again, you're kind of comparing yourself, and you're like, yeah, that's true for other people who have seen a lot of change, but I haven't seen a lot of change. Here's the really good news. Right now, today, you can start afresh and keep yourself with the Spirit. And here's what you can do to encourage you. Look at how you've seen other people change. Look at the testimony of God's grace in other people's lives and say, oh, what, what was it that they did? Oh, they trusted in Jesus. They lived by faith moment by moment by moment. And I love that Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. This is kind of you know, cheesy, but he doesn't say keep in skips with the Holy Spirit. Keep in jumps. Keep in laps. It's like, what is the most basic, simple, smallest thing we do? A step. One step, every step, every step believe, every step trust. And you should take some times in your Christian walk and in your actual walking and just make yourself stop and like look back and see God's grace and give him thanks. And then in that moment say, I'm trusting you, Jesus, for future grace. To remind me that I actually don't have to say yes to sin anymore. And I can say no to my dead body. And when my mortal body, this body of sin, creeps up and says, yeah, but you want to sin. Jesus, help me to peel that layer back one more time and say, actually, the deepest truth about who I am is that I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't. And I don't have to. Piper says, in the next five minutes, you are going to receive sustaining grace flowing to you from the future. It's in that moment that you will accumulate another five minutes worth of grace in the reservoir of the past. And the proper response to that grace is thanksgiving. And the proper response to grace promised you in the future is faith.
you will persevere. You will become more like Christ. You will experience more and more killing of that body of sin in your your moral body. Because Christ persevered and you are united to him. God has promised to preserve you and he preserves you through the power of his grace by his spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to you to give you everything, say everything, everything you need for the rest of your life. You live by faith, trusting in that promise, trusting that God has an eternity of future grace awaiting you. It starts right now. Every step, grace, grace, grace. Father, I do pray. This is why Paul says, set your mind on the things above where Christ is. Seated in the heavenly places. And Paul says in Ephesians, I'm actually seated with him. It seems too simple. And yet it is that simple. It's not always that easy. But it is that simple, Lord. We understand. Would you please help me? Help this group of people tonight. To understand that they have the ability to say no. They have the seeds of every affection that they need to live holy lives. Those affections are actually greater than the affections to give in a sin. And then the Lord help us all to keep in step with the Spirit. We understand that that means, you know, if we're going to nurture and feed and care for these seeds of affections that you've given us in our new hearts, we, we need to surround ourselves with brothers and sisters who love you. We need to we need to be thinking about the Word of God. We need to be praying without ceasing. We, we need to do all of these things. They're the means by which you accomplish this great work in us. But the more we do them, the more we work hard in this, the more we enjoy them and especially enjoy the benefits. Just like somebody in the gym working hard, working through the pain, gets this weird delight <laughs> of pain. using energy. It's incredible. Lord, that is what you mean for us to experience by your grace and the power of the Spirit. So help us tonight as we talk in small groups to flesh that out a little bit more and to personally encourage one another in that endeavor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.